It's from David Platt. And he says this, mark it down. There will always be a price to pay for believers who do not worship the idols of this world. Life will not be easy in this world when you fight the idolatry of this world, plain and simple. Have you ever noticed that when you say no to the things of the world, life is hard sometimes? Or you notice just in the world as a Christ follower, there's this darkness that's always trying to oppose you. Or there's suffering and persecution and people exclude you maybe from gatherings or talk behind your back at the workplace because you call yourself a Christ follower. What is up with that? Why is it so hard sometimes to be a Christ follower in this world? Well, when I look at scripture all the way through, there's definitely answers to that. But I would say if you really want to know why and what that looks like, we need to turn to Revelation chapter 12 and 13. So turn there with me. I'm going to give you an aerial view and I'm going to work pretty quickly to get through two chapters because we have a special guest joining us via video this morning from our Sandusky campus. His name is um, Dr. Bobby Gupta. And he leads uh, our Hindustan Bible Institute. They are a partner, a missionary partner of the chapel. So when you give to the ministries of the chapel, we will be blessing him. And you'll see what he has to say about that in a little bit. But he is going to explore what does it look like to faithfully follow Jesus even when there's pushback, even when there's suffering, even when there's persecution. And that is going to happen today in our world. But when we look ahead in Revelation 12 through 13, wow, we see this magnified. We see the onslaught from Satan and the evil that he has. And he has two counterparts that join him. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to go all the way towards the end in Revelation 12, verse 17. And you're going to see that Satan is joined by these two human evil accomplices to try to force us as Christ followers not to worship Jesus. So look at verse 17 with me. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Symbolism for Satan upset at Jesus because the Jesus followers continue to worship him and he wants to do something about it. And so we'll see this imagery in, in chapters 12 and 13 emerge on what Satan is willing to do, not just to deceive non-Christians, but to also try to get us off our game as Christ followers. Because we see in the next verse, in verse 18, it says, Then the dragon took his stand on the shore behind, uh, beside the sea. If you're familiar with ancient, ancient Near Eastern culture, anything out of the sea represents chaos and what is about to come out of the sea is this beast. This beast is the second figure in Satan's unholy trinity. And this beast represents the capital A Antichrist, someone who has authority and power and are trying to get people away from worshiping God. And so we see what happens in chapter 13, verses 3 and 4. It says, I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. You see that? They worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worshiped the beast. Who is as great as this beast? They say, who is able to fight against him? This counterfeit Christ is doing miracles, just like Jesus did when he was on this earth to try to win allegiance and worship. And it's working. 
people see this Antichrist thinking, wow, look at the miracles. Look how he healed. We want to follow him. And that's a part of Satan's scheme. He wants to take Christians away from Jesus and then try to take non-Christians and turn them away from this possibility of God onto himself. And then we read on. We see now this beast that came from the sea. Now we see this other beast that comes from the earth. And this is a false prophet similar to the Holy Spirit. And that rounds out this unholy trinity of Satan and the Antichrist and the Holy Spirit, or the, excuse me, the false prophet. These three are this triple-headed monster that will deceive and destroy even though they're trying to attract people to itself. Look with me again at chapter 13. We'll move on to verses 12 and 13. He tells us more about this false prophet or this false Holy Spirit. He, the false prophet, exercised all the authority of the first beast and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. Again, deception. It looks good on the outside, but once people realize, well, before they realize it, until it's too late, they're worshiping Satan and not who God is. Now, if you're familiar with chapter 13, it's the first time we encounter what a lot of people like to talk about in Revelation. It's usually at the top of people's list they want to know more about. It's the mark of the beast. And what we're going to do is I'm going to punt that to two weeks from now. And don't worry, I'll be the one teaching on it in this room in two weeks about what this mark of the beast is and what it's not and what does it intend to do for those who have aligned themselves with Satan. But what I will say is this, the most important thing about the mark of the beast isn't what is it or what it's going to look like or what should we look for. It's more important to know that it's making a mockery of the seal of God, the seal of God that's been placed on Christ followers to keep them from Satan. This is a mockery of that. The similar thing is at the end of chapter 13, you're going to see it ends with 666. Oh, I don't like that number. Number seven is the number of perfection. Number six is the number of imperfection. Three sixes go back to this unholy trinity. Again, 666 that is determined to unseat Christ and make us turn from God. That's what all this evil in Revelation is. When you go past what is it and how do we know what it looks like, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is the schemes of Satan and how it takes away from who God is and even our worship for Christ. And we see this in chapters 12 and 13, but boy, I see it here in our culture as well. The scripture tells us it's not the capital A, but the little a, the spirit of the Antichrist, is all around trying to pull us from Christ. It may not be as extreme as we see it in Revelation 12 through 13, and oftentimes in our culture, it's subtle. But Satan wants to do whatever it takes to take us away from Jesus. That's why we see that Peter says that, the, that, the, that the, um, Satan, excuse me, is like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Pastor Bill, who led the chapel for 35 years before he retired, he liked to say that Satan likes to watch game film on us. If you're a sports fan, you know you watch game film to look for weaknesses so you can exploit those on game day. It's exactly what Satan does. He watches you. He studies you. He wants to take your affections and take them from Christ onto himself. 
And it's so easy for us to do that. But most importantly, there's many of us who may be suffering because of the spirit of this antichrist in our world because we claim to be Christians, because we're Christ followers, because the way we act or the way we use our money or the way we say no to certain things and people will push back on you, make fun of you, exclude you. What do we do with that? How do we endure? Well, at the end of Revelation 13, well, towards the end, verses 9 and 10, I love what John has to say here. Look what he says about what happens when we face this persecution or suffering for being a Christian. John says, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die with a sword will die with a sword. Now, stop there for a moment. So often, I heard this a week ago, two weeks ago, when I was at our Sandusky campus, someone came up to me and said, Eric, when are you going to preach from stage about how we need to fight back? When are you going to talk about how these people who are persecuting us in the name of Jesus, when are you going to say, it's time to take up our swords and fight back? The problem is, Scripture doesn't say this. We're going to talk about that more next week, but Scripture says, if you're destined to die, or you're destined to be imprisoned, or you're destined to be persecuted, or you're destined to suffer for Christ, you don't run away from that, you run into it. We don't avoid it. We don't stay silent. We speak. We act, we live, because guess who did the same thing? Jesus. Jesus says at the end of the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are persecuted and suffer for my name's sake. They will inherit the kingdom of God. They will be blessed. And how do we go about that? We don't run away, we run into it. Why? He said, because God's holy people will endure persecution. And when they endure, they remain faithful. We run into it. And we remain faithful because Jesus is faithful. And it's incredible. In our suffering and in our persecution, God does amazing things that you and I can't fathom. If you don't believe me, listen to what Dr. Bobby Gupta has to say. Good morning, Chapel. What a joy it is for me to be here all the way from India to share with you on this very significant event as we go through the book of Revelation. I have been so blessed to be able to be part of the studying process and just learning even as we go through this. And I praise God that each of your pastors that have taken you through this uh, chapter 12 and chapter 13 in preparation and has brought you all through this study, I trust that you are beginning to put your arms around it and be able to understand that God is trying to help us understand how to be prepared for the emergence of difficult times in our life. The last 18 months have not been easy months for most of us. There have been months of difficult times. There have been months of uncertainty. There have been months in which we have not sure what is going to happen next. But what this passage is really talking about is times of difficulty that are really, really dealing with the persecution of those who have made the choice to become followers of Jesus Christ. And those who have become followers of Christ must understand that Jesus promised us that we, if they have persecuted him, we should anticipate and expect persecution in our lives. And you know, this morning what I want to talk about as we begin to come through this journey 
is two very significant ideas that Christ is bringing through John to us about how do we respond to difficult times in our life. How do we respond to uncertainty? How do we respond to persecution that may come to us? How do we respond to injustice that we may experience as we walk through this time? And I'm sure each of you should understand as your pastors have been teaching you this book that it's not about the future, but it is even about today because we have to remain faithful to the end. And even as we walk through these passages of Scripture, it's so important. And the two ideas I want to talk to you is about endurance and faithfulness. Let me say those words again, endurance and faithfulness. But before I get there this morning, I want to say thank you, church, for being investors in my life and the ministries that God has called us to be part of in India. Your church has faithfully supported us, and both my wife and I are so thankful to you, and I want to say thank you. We could not have been able to do what God has called us to do except for your faithfulness in the ministry of the chapel. And because you gave, they were able to support us, and we want to say thank you. But this morning, I want to get back to those two words, endurance and faithfulness. Many times in my journey, I myself had to ask myself, am I ready to throw in the towel? When things become difficult, when things are great stress upon me, there were many times I had to say to myself, I want to throw in the towel. But I want to share with you three powerful stories of people who have sustained themselves in the ministries of HBI as a result of their relationship to Jesus Christ. You and I have a relationship to Christ, and because we have this relationship, we can walk with the Lord, we can talk with the Lord, and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the power of his word, and the presence of the Holy Spirit empowers us to do the impossible. And so this morning, I want us to understand that it's so important. The first story I want to share is the story of my father. You know, my father grew up in a Hindu home. He was a worshiper of many, many, many idols. And because he worshiped many idols, he was thinking that he was going to have an ultimate hope of going to become God and be with God. Till one day his father caught him stealing money and said, there's no hope for you. And as he began to pursue that transformation in his life, he realized how hopeless he was. His religion said he had to break the coconuts, climb the mountains, do all the things that was good so that he would gain the righteousness of God, only to find out no matter how much he did it, his mind remained the same, his heart remained the same. Till he heard a missionary that stood in front of his house and said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And you know, my father... He had always heard that the Hindu gods came to save righteous people, but destroy evil. But you know, for the first time he said, I heard a God that came to save sinners. I'm a sinner. I want to know it. And when he got the Bible and read the Bible and came to understand, for by grace you are saved through faith, not of our works, but it's a gift of God. He embraced Christ 
And in that, he came into a relationship. But you know, the moment he came to know Christ and was invaded by God's word and God's presence and God's power, his life was so transformed, he couldn't keep it quiet. And you know what happened? He started to tell everybody about it. And in the process of telling everybody, you know what his father said to him, son, you have accepted the gods of the untouchable people. We will not allow you to worship Jesus Christ. You have to stop telling, and you cannot tell anybody that you have become a Christian. And my dad said, it's true. How can I be quiet? And you know, he couldn't stay quiet. So because he kept telling everybody, they decided they had to end his life. They were going to poison his food when his uncle said, don't eat your food today. If you eat it, you won't see tomorrow. And when that happened, his dad was so upset because if he continued the road he was walking, their whole family would have got kicked out of the village. And so they said to him, son, you got to leave home. You know, my dad did not know what to do. He just opened his Bible. And when he opened his Bible, he looked at Romans. And in Romans, the Apostle Paul makes this statement. If God spared not his only begotten son, how will he not give you all things freely? And you know, my dad took that as a promise from God. And I want to say to you, you want to endure hardship. You want to endure persecution. You want to be faithful to the end. Somehow, through an intentional discipline that you develop, you need to get to that place in your life where you begin to read the Word of God, but internalize it, memorize it, get to the place where God's Word is coming alive inside of you. Because the more God's Word comes into us, the greater will be our ability to remain faithful, to endure hardship. And you know, my dad put his Bible under his arm, took back, a, 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 a pot of water that was next to him and he said to his dad, Dad, I got to go. And he left only to find how faithful our God is. He never let my father down. My dad never lost a moment when God didn't take care of him from the moment he left home to the moment he entered into the presence of God. God was faithful to him. And the other side of that coin was my dad never lost perspective. It didn't matter how much of persecution he went through, how much of hardship, God was with him and he was faithful to God. And I want to say that because he internalized God's word, he endured hardship. The second story I want to share with you is really a story of a very, very interesting man who absolutely cannot read. If he took a newspaper and he tried to read it, he couldn't. But you know, every time he opened his Bible, every time he opened his Bible, it was as if the Bible was being played in his mind and he was reading and hearing the scripture. And this man became one of the greatest barefoot church planters that we had trained at HBI. He was acknowledged by the government as an individual who needs to represent his community, and he was the liaison between the government and his community. And so everybody respected him, and he loved God so much, and he came so true to understanding the Word of God that he lived his life by faith, and he never kept 
his mouth quiet. He had to tell everybody about Jesus Christ. And so he would go from village to village as a church planter to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he got to one of these villages one day and he was preaching over there, a group of people came to him and said, we don't want to know about Jesus Christ. We don't want you to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in our village. Please don't come to our village again. They tied him around the street, beat him up physically, and when he could hardly breathe, they let him drop down and said, if you come back to this village, you know what we will do? We will kill you. Simhadri went back to his village and in a couple of weeks, he came back fearlessly to stand up and preach the gospel. I can imagine what went through his mind. God saying, how will those people who have not heard the gospel come to know me and worship me? Will you go back? And Simadri went back to that village, knowing that they were going to beat him up and kill him. This time when he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the guy came and he put a gun to his head and said, if you don't stop, I'm going to pull the trigger. The man looked at him, smiled at the guy and said, hey, you can pull the trigger if you want to. He tried, in fact. It didn't blow. And he continued to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That man was mad and angry and he went back home and Simhadri went to his home. But a week later, an interesting thing happened. The guy that had the trigger on him came and knocked at his house. And he said, sir, I want you to come. I have heard you preach. I know what you preach about Jesus. But I hear that you say that he can help the sick to get well. My son is dying. Will you come, please? And will you pray for my son? So he went with him. And he prayed. And his son was made whole. Isn't that amazing? When we endure persecution and we allow God to be God, and we remain faithful to him to the end, what God does is he puts his hand upon us. Nobody can do anything to us. You may think your job is at stake. You may think it's a difficult time. You may think of uncertainty that you're going through. You may think of the difficulties that are happening, and you may be ready to throw in the towel. I want to say to you, Simhadri never threw in the towel. My dad never threw in the towel. And because of that, you know what happened? Simhadri's looked at that man, and that man's son got well, and he said, I have 13 other friends. And you know what? I want you to come and speak to them. And they became the heartbeat of the birth of that church. And today, there's a vibrant church in that village. God is able to do more than we can think or even ask of if we are ready to be faithful to the end. One last story, and this last story is about understanding our call from God. And when we understand our call, we know that no matter what happens to us, we can trust in the Lord. Now, every one of you listening and sitting in this church, I want you to understand that you're no ordinary individual. You have a call from God, and the moment in the day you decided to become followers of Jesus Christ, God has a purpose for your life. One of the guys that I want to talk to you about this morning his name is M.A. Thomas. He was a student, and in the early 60s, he and a group of five others made a choice that nobody else would have made in their normal sense. My father was preaching, and he shared with them that there is a group of people in a state in India that are constantly 
persecuting the saints and refusing to let the gospel of Jesus Christ be preached. And he said to them, how will these people hear that? And you know, M.A. Thomas and his friends that had walked together the previous year stood up and said, we are willing to dedicate our lives to go to Rajasthan and preach the gospel. Soon people began to write and ask, what's insanity you have to go to Rajasthan to preach the gospel where they're persecuting the saints. You must be madmen. And they said, if they do not know and do not hear, how will they believe and how will they come to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And so we want to be the ones who are willing to give our lives to suffer and die so that those people will have the gospel of Jesus Christ. An amazing statement he made. One of the guys looked at him and said, yeah, M.A., last time when you walked from Chennai to Kerala, your family didn't have a baby, none of your kids. But now you're getting ready to go and you have a newborn. What if this newborn absolutely dies on the way when you're walking? And they said to him, guys, we'll dig up a hole, we'll lay the baby, we'll bury them. And M.A. looked at him and said, if I buried all of them and I was the last one to walk to Rajasthan, and I, all I did was to place a tract on the ground of Rajasthan, you know what would happen? I would consider our mission complete, and it was successful. Amazing. They didn't have to walk to Rajasthan. They were able to go because everybody heard the story, and they began to send the resources so that this team can go. But the only challenge was when they got to Rajasthan in 17 days, M.A. Thomas and his team were thrown into prison. His head was cracked. And all he sent was, sent a telegram was to say, pray for us, we are in prison. We do not know what to do. And I remember my mom and dad gathering people together, sending out the word, and everybody was calling for people to pray amazingly, you know what? 40 years later, this man had done a mission that was beyond anybody's imagination. God took the five people. They fired in five different locations of the state of Rajasthan. They began to do ministries that were concerned about the spiritual welfare of people. They were concerned about the social welfare of people. They were concerned about the education of the kids. They were concerned about the health of people. And they were doing medical work. They were doing proclamation of the gospel, multiplication of churches. And today, Rajasthan has many more churches than they would ever have had if these, two, these five guys never went to Rajasthan today. But the bottom line is, they had to come to a place in their life where they would endure hardship. And church, it's very, very important to understand this. That word endured is a very, very important word. It's like, you know, when you have a, a, a door that is held by a spring and you're trying to walk through it and it's putting pressure on you and you're having to endure the pressure that's coming upon you. But in order to get and clear it, you have to endure the pressure move your way through it and be able to get on the other side. As we begin to walk this life with Jesus Christ, it's so important to understand. It's not an easy life. It is not without 
some challenges that we are going to face. It's not without pressure that's going to come upon us. But what God is looking at, will I endure this hardship? And will I stay faithful to the end? And what John is calling us to, he's calling us to a life of faithfulness. He's calling us to a life of hardship. And in God is saying to us, guys, what I want you to do is to realize, anticipate difficulties as a follower of Jesus Christ. But don't ever throw in the towel because I am sovereign. I am the true and the living God. I will never let you. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And no matter what happens, if you will trust in the Lord, he will help you to endure hardship. Remember, it's the internalization of God's word. It's the ability to actually allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in you so that you do not give up and run away. And it's the ability to have a clear vision in your mind so that no matter what happens, you're going to say, I'm going. And if I am persecuted, it doesn't matter. I am going to trust the Lord. And then you watch God put his hand upon you. Will you do that, church? The question is, are you willing to endure hardship and stay faithful to the end? Amen? God be with you all, and God bless you. Have a wonderful week as you walk through this journey. Bye-bye. I was reading a book recently, and the author said, oftentimes in our life, we cultivate what he calls resume-building virtues. And what he's saying is oftentimes we're trying to live a life of success, or we're trying to live a life to do things that pad our resume so that our lives look good and our lives look successful and our lives look the best and people can look at us and say, yeah, wow, he did a good job or she did a good job. He contrasts that by saying, but maybe, just maybe, we should focus more on cultivating eulogy virtues. And he said, instead of just trying to live for yourself and build your own resume, why not live to the end of your life so when people stand up and talk about what you did and who you became, it was characteristics like servanthood, love, faithfulness, and endurance. I was thinking, like, if, if someone were to come up and share about my life, could people share about what Bobby just shared about me? Could he share it about you? If we're building a resume and we're making it all about ourselves, we won't. Because we won't want to face persecution. We're going to run the opposite way. But if we're cultivating these eulogy virtues, meaning we're cultivating a life that's not about us, so when people get up they can say how we really lived for other people and for God, then we will. And a part of that is running into persecution, is running into suffering and saying, God, your will be done, not mine. Because isn't that what Jesus said? Right before he was about to take on the cross, he wanted to run the other way for a moment. That's why he sweat blood. It was an unbelievably painful, not just physically, but spiritually, to take on the sin of the world. But he looked at the Father because he was building his life upon him and said, not my will, but your will be done. And he died for us. Why can't we die for him? So would you take your communion? If you don't have it, we have some in the back. Just raise your hand and 
We'll make sure to get that to you. There's a couple up here. There's one up here, Ryan. I want you to take this top little wafer cracker here. This represents Jesus' body. It was broken for us. He ran in to the fire. He didn't run away. He ran into the fire because he loved God and he really loved us. And so when we just take this just to say, thank you, Jesus, for doing for me what I surely could never do for myself. Let's do this to remember Jesus. The next part, you can just take that little lid and peel it back. This represents Jesus' blood that was spilled. He established a new covenant or a new relationship with us. A covenant simply means a relationship that's entered that at least one party will never fail to uphold their duties. And that's what Jesus did. No matter how many times we have failed him, no many times we've run away or we've focused on building our own resume and not truly living for God or for others, he still was faithful to us. He spilled his blood so that we could be whole. Let's thank Jesus. Would you just take a minute or two of just silence and ask God to say, whether it's in my workplace or my family or on social media, wherever it is where you'll be tempted to run away, what would it look like to run into the fire and endure and faithfully be persecuted for God's glory? Just take some time to talk to Jesus about that. God, we don't do this because we feel guilty. What I heard in Bobby is that every one of those people who ran into the fire did so because they loved you. They knew your word. They knew that the more persecuted they were, the closer that you were to them. So Lord, even though Revelation 12 and 13 could be tomorrow, it could be in 100 years, we still feel it today. Help us to endure. Help us to be faithful in our devotion to you, no matter what it costs. Because it costs you your life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you head out today, you'll see a table where you can pick up one of Bobby's books, one about his dad, another about him planting churches in India. If you want to make a donation to his ministry, all proceeds go there. Now I want to end with inviting Pastor Ryan up.